0: everyone, I'm Brownwin Beth, and welcome back to The Misfit Musician, the podcast where music and mental health meet. I made this announcement at the end of last episode, but I realized that a lot of people might not make it to the end, so I just wanted to drop it in here. If you don't follow me on Instagram, you might not know, but I've recently launched the Misfit Musician Instagram page that's separate from my Bronwyn Beth Violin Instagram page, so head on over to that if you want to keep up with more mental health information and encouragement and be part of the Misfit Musician community. In this episode, I talk about practicing with Chelsea Tanner. Chelsea is a flutist and a life coach for musicians, and she has her DMA from the University of Texas. She is so knowledgeable and had so much to share and so many good ideas to help you create a healthier mindset around practicing. I think this is something that we all could get better at and we all need some reframing when we go into the practice room and pick up our instruments. So enjoy this episode with Dr. Chelsea Tanner. Chelsea, welcome to The Misfit Musician, and thanks so much for coming on here. Um, so you are a mindset coach and a flutist, and you have your DMA in flute, is that correct? Yeah, yeah. Cool. Um, and yeah, I don't, I don't know if there's anything that you want to say to kind of introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, so basically, I'm a a flutist teacher and a mindset coach for musicians. So I help um, musicians really step into auditions with confidence so they can really lay it all out all out there and feel empowered and very good about themselves. Because in this industry, I know that's not always the case. And more times than not, for me, it was not always the case. So Um, I'm very motivated to help musicians really feel confident and powerful in themselves. And, um, yeah, so that's sort of what I do.
0: I love that. That's so awesome. Um, and you have a blog I saw on your website and then also a podcast called Align Your Mind, which is so good. Um, and you're, you're just starting a new season of your podcast, right?
1: Yeah. The first season I, sort of couldn't make up my mind about like whether to tailor it to just musicians or not. And so I used some musical examples of, of life experiences I've had, but um, more than not, it's just sort of general concepts of mindset and how to align your mind to, you know, create um, whatever you want. In your life, so um, there's a lot of different topics, um, but this season is centered around musicians, specifically classical musicians, and it's all it's also includes guests. So um, I'm excited nice. to bring that to everybody.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, and I just kind of like stumbled across your blog as I was like reading some of your stuff, and I like kept reading more and more because it's really good. You're such a good writer.
1: Oh, yeah. thanks so much.
0: <laughs> so I was wondering if you could um, just tell a little bit about your journey to becoming a mindset coach and what sort of made you add that into your musical experience?
1: Yeah, I want to say necessity. <laughs> um, <laughs> I um, I went through a very difficult 2020, but it was January of 2020. Okay. Um, I, I was at a visiting professor position and um, ended up not being considered for a live interview for the full-time uh, tenure track position there. And I had a very difficult time dealing with that.
0: Yeah. And
1: you know, there's so much that we put into teaching and performing and building our careers to sometimes it seems almost as if we've been dismissed by the powers that be whether it be a committee or academia or whomever (laughs) Um, but I had a very difficult time dealing with that and I um, I found coaching actually in the fall of 2019 I started incorporating concepts into my teaching and saw a really big difference in just how I understood my students And how I could communicate to them so that they could hear things, even if they were stressed, even if they felt guilty for not practicing or something like that. Um, And so I started incorporating that. And then I just went all in in my own life because then the pandemic hit, (laughs) you know, and uh, it was a lot of um, just trying to you know, deal with the human side of being a musician, which is not playing. It's living through the, the harsh feedback, through all of the rejections, through picking yourself up and trying again and all of that stuff. So I got into it um, and just fell in love because it was so tangible. It was actionable. And it was it was not elusive. I actually felt like I was making mental progress. So, um, and I, I really believe that I have come a long way. <laughs> it's, it's like totally transformed my entire life. So um, when I saw the potential and the power of it all, um, I was like, this is something every musician needs. Like I
0: agree
1: to the universe. I was like, so all in on it. So that's kind I of what got that. me.
0: Involved. Yeah. That word you used um, when you were talking about um, not getting that position dismissed. I feel like that's so relatable to so many people, even outside of the music field. Um, But I think it's awesome that you turned it into something that's helping so many people.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I I think it's just. It's stuff that if we're going to put ourselves out there and put ourselves through audition after audition and all that stuff, it's just, I think it's essential now. I don't think we have another option.
0: To other survive. To,
1: yeah. Other than to just be scared. And I mean, I was an anxious wreck and, in so many situations where people that people put on pedestals, you know, at. You know, festivals or things like that. It's like we assume all the people who make it into big things feel amazing. And right. most of the time that's not true, you know? And so we hit that and we're like, oh my gosh, what I don't feel incredible all the time. Like what's happened? Yeah. <laughs> so so I think it's it's sort of peeling back those layers and that that facade of just like perfection. Cause mm-hmm. I think we have that as something that might be attainable for ourselves when it's really like we can play a perfect performance and still feel terrible. Right. Yeah. It's, it's not one dependent on the other.
0: Exactly. Wow. So today we're talking about practicing, mm. which I think I definitely am really interested in hearing what you've learned about that and what you have to share. Um, and I feel like it's something that people struggle with a lot because it's how we spend a lot of our time um and it's such a solo pursuit so you aren't really getting feedback until these very like stressful moments um and so i definitely want to talk about like a couple of practical steps but even more so just like the mindset around practicing and as i was um like listening to your podcast and checking out your blog there are a couple things that you said that really kind of stood out to me and one of them was like feeling fulfilled is all in your mind Um, and then that perfection is an opinion, and that uh, good enough isn't measurable, like it's a decision. So, and you were talking about how like schooling is um, structured so everything's focused on the end result. So we're used to like figuring, you know, seeing how we're doing by the result of a test or something rather than understanding or having someone come alongside us and help us know how to study and I feel like that's so relatable to practicing, right? So how do you set what's good enough in practicing? And then how do you know how to, I guess, how to approach that practice?
1: Okay, that's such a great question. So when I say good enough is a decision, Mm -hmm. that's totally true, right? Like, I can decide whether something is good enough. Like I have a coffee mug here I think it's good enough. Maybe someone else wouldn't buy this, but I think it's good enough, right? Like that's how subjective good enough is, right? Like that is literally it. So I operate under the assumption that I'm always good enough. Like there's no question. There is no like questioning, like, is it going to be okay? Is it, it's all just always. And that's not something that many people can just switch to usually, right? It's like, if, and I, when I really discovered this work and I was I was like reading a book that like really changed so many things, but they said so many people have this idea that they're not good enough, like as a person. And I said it out loud to myself. I immediately started crying. I was like, I believe this. I don't know what it is. I don't, there must be something experienced. It must be something that happened for whatever reason. That's my belief right now. Mm-hmm. And I know so many people go through that, whether it's what they're playing, whether it's not what they're playing is them as a person. But if we're talking about playing, it's like, okay, well, I need to first accept my own playing, right? Like I, I think that that's a journey to take yeah. where it's like when we think that we're not good enough a lot of times we use that as motivation to practice right we're like guilting ourselves shaming ourselves into absolutely. practicing absolutely yeah yeah and so we're like it's not good enough i have to take all this action so i can feel better right and and when we do that the fuel for our actions for our practicing is usually frustration it's usually shame Guilt, it's that emotional fuel that leads us to things like burnout. Yeah. If we fuel our practicing with shame and guilt, I don't want to practice either, right? that's right. (laughs) Right? That's that's terrible. And so when when you have this sort of notion of okay, well if I do think I'm good enough, and I hear this too from clients and and musicians all the time, they're like, well, if I do think I'm good enough, then I won't practice. I wanna challenge that. I wanna push back on that because I still practice, (laughs) right? Like I I think I'm good enough and it could be even good enough to win the thing or good enough to um, participate in the concerto competition or it could be anything, right? I think I'm good enough oh my gosh, that means I could actually do it, right? Like now we're in possibility and inspiration and we can use that as fuel for our practice instead of being like, well, I'm not good enough yet even. So like, how am I even supposed to do this? And that'll make you quit in small moments. Mm -hmm. That, That leads to a lot of like all or nothing judgments in the practice room, which is like, that was bad. Yeah. And when you're, when you're in that mode of this is good or bad, that gives you no information. Like I don't ever tell myself I'm good or bad because that's not useful to what I'm trying to create. right It's not useful to um, like whether something like maybe something was in tune or out of tune or maybe it was sharp or flat and that's neutral information, but good or bad makes us feel. right? So we either feel validated or not and that's a huge roller coaster. Mm-hmm. So I think when neutrality, on on the way to feeling good enough, speaking in a neutral language is always so useful. So instead of saying, oh, that sucked. (laughs) Like, (laughs) even if it's a passing thought being like, and I'm a flute player, so let's say I crack a note and it goes Mm -hmm. up a harmonic or something, right? That's actually neutral. It just went up a harmonic. So I can think, oh, my air was going too fast
0: hmm
1: instead of oh that was bad right like those feel so different and those little things add up yeah
0: yeah wow and um what you were saying about like people thinking that if they think that they're good enough they won't practice I was actually that was something that I was curious about because I, as I've worked more on having a healthy mindset, like I do practice a lot less because my practicing before was always fueled from this like obsessive need to be working towards something. Um, and it's not that I care about it less, although in some ways I kind of do, um, but I, it's just been interesting because I have lost a little bit of my motivation. Um, and I'm, I feel like there's probably something else going on there. Um, but I, but I also haven't cared as much that I've lost some of my motivation because it's not as, it doesn't feel life or death. Like it doesn't feel like it's making a judgment about who I am.
1: Totally. Right. When we're obsessed with, How like if we're making our actions and our resume like mean something about us as humans, we are scared. We're like in such a scarcity mindset. And I think this is what happens throughout actually most of the industry, right? Like honestly, like I I think that I I am really going against the grain by telling people they're good enough. Like, I don't think that the system is set up for all of us to believe in ourselves, to be honest. And so, so when we do say like, oh my gosh, I, I'm talking to myself with love and compassion in the practice room. I'm supporting myself in the practice room. Like that can only come from like accepting where you are at any moment. And also to do that, we need to let go of all like the garbage thoughts about <laughs> about like oh I'll be valid when I get X Y and Z when I win a job when I um, become a professor when I get the DMA or whatever it is right it's like okay like let's achieve more because then I'll feel better and I'll have more experience. And everyone says experience equals confidence and all that stuff. And it's like, well, if you're always operating under the assumption that um, you're not good enough, right?
0: Yeah. You can
1: change your circumstances. You could get the DMA, you could get the job You but your thoughts are practiced,
0: mm.
1: right? Your thought habits are practiced. So whatever action you get or like whatever you do is not necessarily going to change your thoughts hmm. because those are just habitual after yeah, a while. Yeah,
0: that makes sense. i am thinking of like if someone's uh, suffered trauma and they're just like, well, I'm, I'm just going to move. I'll move somewhere new. Everything that you have with you in that moment is going to move with you. It sounds kind of like the same thing where what you're, how you see yourself is going, you're going to see yourself the same way, even in a better position, better in quotes.
1: (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. Because it's not our circumstances or our job titles that create our emotions. It's our thoughts about them. Right. So, and it's our thoughts about us. And we are our constant. So that's why I always say like, you don't need to get more things to build confidence. Like you can do that on your own. (laughs) Like you can do that without having this, um, this like, okay, what's the next rung on the ladder? What are we doing now? Okay, didn't get this competition. What are we doing now? And I used to, I used to do that all the time. I would be like cut from a competition and be like, okay, what's the rep for next year? Hmm. What are we doing, right? Like wow. <laughs> without like without taking a breath or even saying like because because I didn't see another way to feel valid, hmm. you know. And so once I learned that, I was like, we need to tell everybody what has happened. Like, we should <laughs> tell
0: everybody about
1: this. So yeah.
0: What does that look like to build confidence in the practice room?
1: That is such a good question.
0: So I think that.
1: the the thing that I teach um, my clients is something called a thought model. And this is a concept by Brooke Castillo, who um, is the founder of the Life Coach School, but it really lays out your mindset in a clear way. Um, And it is basically breaking down everything in the world into five categories, which is a circumstance, And then a thought. So we have a thought about our circumstance. And then that thought creates a feeling or emotion. And that emotion fuels our actions. And then our actions culminate in a result. So we've got circumstance, thought, feeling, action, result. And I love to check in with myself. I think the number one thing we're not taught to do is check in with ourselves.
0: No, <laughs> right? Yeah.
1: <laughs> and so it's it's so important. It's like, okay, how am I feeling today? Even if I have a thought like, oh, I don't want to do this, I'm in I'm in an emotion after that thought. Mm. I'm like, Ugh, okay, well, I have to play Firebird again. Great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's another day in paradise. Um, and and so when we have even that energy coming in, if we can say like, hold up, okay, why am I feeling that way? It's like, oh, cause I'm thinking I don't want to do this. Like, is that true? Like, what else could I think about? Like, and, and really think like, how could I feel inspired? How could I feel curious? How could I maybe switch, shift my emotion 5%, right? Like for how I'm feeling and maybe think a little bit differently going into the session so that you know, maybe my goal isn't like to achieve a passage, but maybe today I'm going to speak to myself in neutral language. Like that's going to be my focus. Mm -hmm. And then with that, I think it's, I think that's really helpful because when we get to a neutral baseline, right? Like we get to a self-talk where we're not tearing ourselves down. We're just stating facts, Mm. right? Or we're just saying like, huh, this isn't exactly what I wanna hear. What if I change this? What would happen then? Um, it makes it more X, Y, and Z, right? And I love descriptive words in the practice room instead of this was right, this was wrong, this was good or bad or better or worse because it doesn't give you a lot of information that um, that we can actually use. So maybe the goal isn't, um, I'm gonna nail this passage because what does that mean? Does that mean you got the notes right? Does that mean you did it right 10 times in a row? What does it mean to do it right? Was your sound consistent on every note? Like, like, there are so many levels to that. And like, what does nailing it really mean? And can you comfortably repeat it? Or did you just get it once? Right? like, does it feel comfortable to you? So I think checking in is number one. And then I would say like practicing neutral language. So eventually that can create some space to then become positive, right? Because when we when we skip from negative to positive, you just dig your heels in, right? If someone, you know, it's sort of like after a performance that you thought went really di- terribly and someone yeah. comes up to you and they're like, that was so good. Oh my gosh, amazing. And you're like, were you there? Like, <laughs> Did not go well, right? (laughs) And so, so it's, I think it's sort of like that like, even compliments we don't believe because we have the last say, and our thoughts are the ones that matter because they create how we feel. So, if we want to feel confident, right, we can't be feel we can't be practicing the feeling of shame and guilt and inadequacy in the practice room, and then all of a sudden expect ourselves to walk on stage. Mm. And feel amazing because it's just not how it works. Yeah. Our, and musicians get that because practicing is so integral. So practicing thoughts and emotions are exactly the same.
0: Yeah. Wow. Well, I feel like it allows thinking about it that way, it allows for like a curiosity to that makes you that at any time you're like cultivating curiosity i feel like it bleeds into other areas so if you're doing it with your thoughts you're going to be more curious about your music and like can i make this sound different or can i create a prettier tone and and that automatically is more positive than just being like oh, that was bad <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and i think really developing language for yourself to mm-hmm. say like okay how do i actually want to have this phrase sound like what descriptor (laughs) like what is like what is it that I am creating and that not only helps you um practice more effectively I think but also create something you really like intentionally right because I think we get into this mode where we're just like scared to miss a note we're just like scared to do anything wrong yeah and like I like in my body, I feel that like, I, I remember, it's like fight or flight. It's like, oh, like, like yeah. let's just hold on and pray, right? Like at, at a certain point, sometimes in extreme cases, but like, I, there's such a fear of like doing things wrong that we never focus on like, what do I wanna sound like? Mm-hmm. Like, do I actually really like the way I'm sounding? Do I really love the way I play and why, right? Like having those things really helps create confidence because you're going to be so much more willing to share and perform when you love how you sound.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Like that's something that I think is sort of glossed over. A bit,
0: <laughs> where <Absolutely>. it's like
1: <laughs> where like, okay, you have to play in time and in tune with a beautiful sound on every note. And it's like, okay, well, let's then just like put on our blinders and like, and if I'm not doing that, then I'm wrong. And it's like, well, there's much more nuance than that, right? Like, let's create a little space.
0: For yeah. yeah, I love that. So if something goes wrong, um, you said that failure is your biggest asset. And I was hoping you could talk more about that because like, how is something going wrong? How can we actually turn into turn it into looking at it like it's the best case scenario?
1: Oh, yeah. So there's a lot of like levels, to quote-unquote failure, right? And that that word is defined, I'm pretty sure, by Google, meaning um, you don't reach your expectations, right? Like you expect to play something in the practice room, you played a wrong note, you played a note that didn't match one on the page, something like that. That's sort of like a, that's like the smallest um, version, Right? And that can actually extend to like, you get cut in the first round of an audition, you get cut in the finals, you don't get tenure. You you know, like there's macro levels of that as well, which, you know, we have a bunch of different thoughts about. But I think really seeing failure, quote unquote, as something um, that can work for us instead of against us. Um, if something doesn't go right, we always assume that that's a bad thing. And, and we assume that if we're not playing it perfectly the first time, somehow that that's, that's unacceptable and it shouldn't take this long and then we get really frustrated. Um, so the thoughts that we think about these um, circumstances, right, which is just that you didn't play a note that matched the page, and so um, those are neutral and I think it's really interesting to observe then how we respond to it so sometimes we think I should be able to do this by now like I spent a half hour on this yesterday what the heck you know like (laughs) all that stuff that makes us feel frustrated but really being able to practice saying oh I wonder why that happened, or I wonder how I could do this differently, or I wonder if I practiced it differently, if it would have an impact. Let me just try that or creating curiosity, like you said, Mm -hmm. instead of tearing ourselves down, but we can only do that if we play wrong notes right? Like we can only treat ourselves with compassion in the face of adversity if we have the adversity or failure, right? Like we we need it. It's integral to practicing that skill of what I call like having your own back, right? So that means, let's say something bigger, like you get cut, maybe you get cut off in an audition, Mm -hmm. right? Afterward, how do you treat yourself, right? Like, do you treat yourself like you did so well, I'm so proud of you. You know what, like them cutting you off doesn't have to mean anything about you as a person or a musician or a player. Like, are you treating yourself with compassion or are you saying, this is terrible, I hate auditions, I don't deserve to be doing this. Like, who did I think I was? Like, there's so many different um, like types of reactions we can have, right? But really saying like, oh, like, I know you're disappointed. Because if you think you're ever going to go to an audition and not be disappointed, like, don't go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, it's like, it's expected, right? So when we can expect to feel disappointment and then be able to then practice having our own back, caring for ourselves, soothing ourselves through that disappointment, feeling it, allowing it and releasing it. And like going back to like, okay, like I'm always good enough. They didn't choose me. That's fine. It's okay. It's going to be okay. In the act of practicing all of that, you are going to get so good at failure. Yeah. Right? Like you're gonna, you're gonna be but like your willingness to feel the disappointment is huge, right? Because what we're afraid of is feeling negative emotions. We're not afraid of being rejected. We're afraid of feeling rejected right wow yeah yeah and and so when we have this this fear it's like are we going to then reject ourselves after the committee does
0: mm-hmm.
1: cuz i think so often we do and that's the part that hurts
0: yeah you know wow yeah. that's all so good okay so um How do you know, or like if you recognize that your motivation is coming from an unhealthy place or from negative self-talk, what can you do to kind of foster that healthier motivation? Such
1: a good question. Um, I think the first thing you can do is just observe your mind, right? Like if you're feeling really terrible when you walk into a practice room, what are your thoughts? Just write them down. Like, and then look at them without judgment. Hold space for your own thoughts to be there without placing judgment on them, right? Because I think a lot of times we can say, we are like, oh, I can't believe I'm beating myself up again. We're like beating ourselves up for beating ourselves up. Like, (laughs) so we're just like laying layering on the shame and guilt and Mm -hmm. we don't have to do that. So I would say like baseline, like if you're not feeling it, totally normal to not feel like you want to practice, right? But then say like, okay, what's going on? Like, why are you feeling this way? You know, ask yourself questions. Like, well, I'm feeling this way because I don't think I'm going to be ready in time. right? like, okay, well- is that true? Is that hundred percent true. Like, if you believe that, then you're going to feel discouraged and you're probably going to avoid practicing because you don't want to feel discouraged and then you're going to prove yourself. Right. 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 You know? And so, so when we get to think about that, I say like, you know, become aware of your thoughts, get really curious about your own mind without judgment, because when you can hold space for yourself without judging yourself, or the thoughts that your brain thinks. And I also want to say, all of our thoughts are not our own, right? Like they society, they're our teacher, they're our, <laughs> our colleagues, they're the culture right. of classical music, right? Um, w- our brain is just spitting them out in our own voice in our head, mm-hmm. right? So we're not choosing, we're not t- choosing every thought we have, we have 60,000 of them a day. So having some compassion that like your brain is, is an organ that functions in your body. That's just trying to keep you alive. Right? Yeah. And so we don't need to make our thoughts mean much more than that. They're sentences in our mind. Hmm. Right. So really just looking at that and being like, Hey, okay, is that true? How do I react when I think that, you know, who would I be without thinking this right now, right? Like what would happen if I just couldn't think that thought right now? How do I feel, you know, and really going through that and thinking, okay, well, all thoughts are optional, right? Like, and I love that concept too, because all thoughts are optional. Amazing. Like, I don't have to believe all of my thoughts. It's totally optional. And, and so when we question, we get curious, we can sort of say like, oh, I see that this thought's creating a result that I don't love. Like, okay, I'm aware of that now. And I can choose not to believe this thought. Yeah, You can think thoughts intentionally also that that you do believe align with the results that you want. Um, but I think that the first step is really having that awareness of saying, I'm having the thought that. X, Y, Z, right. Instead yeah. of indulging and believing all of them. So I think that if your motivation feels really bad, like it feels not good. Um, it's because of how we're thinking. It could also be a thought habit. It might take some digging and some questioning to like get to a sentence because hmm. sometimes we just react, right? Yeah. Like when we're we go into a practice room, we just feel anxious. Or we go into a lesson, we just start feeling anxious, right? Yeah. And so, so questioning, like, okay, like, I wonder why that is. What do I think is going to go wrong? What am I afraid of? Right? Like just having compassion, sitting down with yourself and, and answering those things, because if you're not aware of why you're feeling certain ways, yeah. it can be very hard to, um, to change or to, um. Yeah, to kind of, I don't want to say fix, but to transition to maybe a neutral or positively motivated practice session.
0: Hmm. I love yeah. um, meditation and mindfulness just for that reason where it gives you like enough space from your thoughts that you realize that you aren't your thoughts, like your thoughts are things that are kind of coming into your brain and they can go right back out if you don't latch on to them. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So that's really helpful to like, think about practicing in that same way. I love that.
1: Uh, Yeah. I love the detachment from our own brain thing. Mm -hmm. Like I know I'm not my thoughts. I know I'm not my mind. My mind is my brain and my brain's an organ, like my stomach or my liver. Like I don't, (laughs) I don't identify with them. So
0: (laughs) yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about having a practice journal or like a practice plan cuz I feel like there's ways to use a practice journal to help with some of the things that you're talking about there's also mm-hmm. ways to use it that can be really detrimental um so yeah I was just wondering if you could talk a little bit about that
1: yeah i think i think uh if you're and i've i have probably six full moleskin journals of practice notes over the years <laughs> but I think there's so many different ways you can use it, right? I think it's different for everyone also. I used to, I literally have a journal full of tally marks because I thought that was what I was supposed to do. I thought I was supposed to do it perfect 10 times and then I had it, Mm
0: -hmm. never
1: checking in with myself. That competition didn't go well. (laughs) (laughs) I never once asked myself, do I feel comfortable? Hmm. Do I feel confident doing this? And so I think practice journals and external, like metric check, checking the boxes and all of the quantifiable things like 10,000 hours or whatever it is, yeah. right? Like I think a journal can sometimes embody those things mm-hmm. and make it so that we don't have to ask ourselves how we're doing or how comfortable we're feeling or whatever it is.
0: Yeah.
1: But a journal can be amazing too, right? It can show, you can be like, oh my gosh, I learned this thing when I was practicing and I need to write it down because I'm so excited about it. That's usually how I use it. Or you could, and sometimes, and I do thought models in my practice journal because sometimes I feel very frustrated. I literally write down, there's no way I can freaking do this. (laughs) In all caps, it gets a little messy, but there's no way I can do this. And then then I step back Right, like you said, and I'm like, oh, is that the one I want to go with? I can't do this. Yeah, (laughs) thought I want to go with. No, okay, so maybe then I like, like, okay, that's out of my brain, but it was in my brain enough so that I was believing it enough so that I was having an emotional reaction, and I did, I wrote it down. So then having compassion for myself, being like okay, my brain is really doing this. I think it's a great tool in order to create space for yourself. Mm-hmm. I also, I I think we can get a little perfectionisty with journals, <laughs> um, yeah. like being like, I have to do it every day. And if I don't do it every day, then it, like it won't look pretty or it won't like I have to use the same pen or like if I don't have the pen, then I can't write in the it's like crazy how our brains get. Like I used to be that, yeah. that way, but I um I think that the less perfect your journal looks, maybe the more effective it is, okay? Yeah. <laughs> In my opinion. Yeah, um but but that's just me and um and I think that, you know, we can we can use it for so many things, but like really ask yourself like why? Like why are you using a practice journal? Hmm. Is it to keep track of what you did? then that's, I mean, that's great. That's a tool for like, okay, I want to prioritize this or this. But I also think making a practice plan even for a whole week is like, oh, well, I reevaluate every day, maybe even every practice session because I'm different.
0: Yeah, (laughs) Like
1: reprioritizing what excerpts I need to practice or like, okay, this actually feels really solid. So I don't think I need to do that on Thursday now, right? Or something. Like yeah. Yeah. I think it just depends on, um, how you're using it and what you're getting out of it. And if it's to have a practice journal, like maybe you don't need it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. Nice. I feel like, yeah, if you're using it to check in with yourself, um, like if you go into the, to practice and you're feeling really tired, um, then maybe that can like inform your practice, like you were saying, and then you just change what you're deciding to do for things that that work for you when you're feeling tired. So it's not that you don't want to practice, you're just really tired. So maybe not do like a super fast passage passage or something. Yeah.
1: Wait, I think that's so important too. Like Like you said, to have to check in, but that also can inform how you practice, right? Like if I'm super tired and my brain feels foggy, maybe it's long tones. Maybe that's what I do first. Yeah. Or maybe I do that fast passage super slow. I just like pamper myself with time and ease and yeah. like treat myself really gently. And um, and I this is something, my, mo- my mom's actually a violinist and she's been in okay. an orchestra forever. And she said, she's like, I just pamper myself with slow tempos. And I was I like, <laughs> I was like, why don't we ever think of just like pampering ourselves? Yeah, in the practice room. Mm-hmm. Not it, like we're wearing slippers and drinking tea, but like but like literally like pampering our brain with like we're not overloading it. We're not overstressing. We're just like being gentle and kind and we know we're going to get there. Yeah. Right? Like I think that's that on the other side of practicing is also building this belief and certainty that you're going to get it. Yeah. And I think about that also in my students a lot. Like there's never a student I encounter that's like gonna learn the C scale, right? And they're and I'm like, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if they're gonna get it ever. It's like of course they're gonna get it. It's just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Right. It's like I have a hundred percent belief in my students, but we don't always have that same belief in ourselves, in the practice room. A lot of times we operate under the assumption, like I don't get, I don't have it now. So I don't know if I'm gonna get it. And when we're in that energy, it's really different than it's like, then being really certain, like, oh, I'm gonna get this. And so I can take my time. It'll probably take less time if you (laughs) (laughs) write this energy, right? (laughs) Yeah. Which is the most ironic thing, but it's, it's like, oh, if I'm certain I'm gonna get this and it just takes as long as it takes and I've got this, like, oh, then then all like the crazy mind spirals kind of like lessen and you can kind of help yourself through your practice session instead of kind of <laughs> treating yourself like a like a bad like treating yourself as if a bad boss would treat an employee, right? Like it's, <laughs> right. it's part of that dynamic.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That's so good. This just like talking about this makes me excited to go practice (laughs) because then you're like, Oh, I can be kind to myself and like have a practice session that I really enjoy and I feel productive in like, that's so valuable.
1: Yeah, totally. And that word productive, I think it's so interesting because (laughs) like, right. Like what does that actually mean? And can a practice session be productive if you're kind to yourself Right. And, and maybe you, you moved an inch instead of a foot, right. Like in progress. Right. And I think that having different ways of measuring your practice as productive is so important because for me, every time I feel confident and kind to myself and solid and grounded and like knowing in my
0: practice, Mm -hmm. that's productive.
1: Yeah. That's, arguably more productive than me being scared and trying to learn notes
0: yeah right yeah i i have often felt so disorganized in the practice room like i'm like i know that i'm supposed to play my violin right now but i have no idea what my brain is doing or like what i'm working on or why how am i working on this what's going on and so everything that you just said, I feel like if you approach it with a little bit more of that thoughtfulness, that disorganization will just kind of like fix itself. Cause I've all, I've tried journals, I've tried different things to like organize my practice, but I think it's really just that I need to organize my mind a little bit more, (laughs) just (laughs) give it a little bit more time to figure, you know, like figure itself out and then go into my practice session.
1: Yeah. And I think another thing about it, when we talk about practicing, it's like, what are we practicing for? Like what is actually going to transfer to the performance? Mm. Right. Like I'm practicing for for myself now. I didn't used to. I used to practice for it being good enough. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which just <laughs> <laughs> right. But now I'm like, okay, when I'm on stage in a month, I want to feel comfortable. Mm you know, like, so right now I'm practicing for my own comfort. I'm practicing. So like, I know my body knows this. I know my subconscious knows this. And so how can I practice in a way that f- facilitates them learning it? Hmm. Right. So like, I think about that in like the inner game of tennis. I don't know if you've read that book. No. Um, it's really good. It sort of splits our brain into the conscious and subconscious hmm. and our body. So our conscious and our subconscious, are two different um, sort of things and our body and our subconscious work together to play our instrument. And that's evident because we can totally zone out and like play a whole piece. Yeah. (laughs) And sometimes we even think that that's more effective in performance because we're not, our conscious mind isn't like going a, a million miles an hour.
0: Yeah.
1: So I always think like, I know my body and my subconscious are ultimately what is going to make this performance work because they they're the ones that play my instrument I don't read every single note with my conscious brain
0: yeah
1: so how can I facilitate that for myself Mm -hmm. so that and how can I feel confident in the process so that that feeling of confidence isn't just um like manufactured on the day but it's it's practiced and internal yeah and automatic so
0: yeah (laughs) nice so um one question that's more about like uh practical isn't the right word cuz these are all very practical but like maybe more physical mm-hmm. strategies I guess less mm-hmm. mental. Um you had I read like an analogy you had about um like practicing being like a carpenter trying to like build a table or something. Yeah. Um and yeah, to having the idea of having tools in the practice room and thinking about it in that very like physical way of like if this is wonky, what tool would I need to kind of like fix that table leg or something. And I was wondering if you could just talk a little bit about that.
1: Yeah, so I think that was I wrote a blog post. I think it might be my favorite blog post I ever wrote, okay. which is called <laughs> building versus fixing. Mm. Right. So, I think a lot of times we have this expectation that we have we, we like should be able to do it and anything that goes wrong, we just have to fix it, right? Like there's this, this weird expectation among musicians that we should already be able to do stuff. And, and it's just, it's bananas when we think about it, right? Like it's, it's crazy. It's like, okay, well, the table's not already built. Like you have to put all the pieces together. You have to literally craft it right? You have to use a ruler to measure the table or else it's going to be weird, right? Like, (laughs) and that's our metronome, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's like, those are practice tools. It's like chunking, it's slowing things down. It's playing it in rhythms. It's like everything we already know that's in like every, like, I don't know. I think about like flute magazines, right? Like it's in Uh every practice technique you'd ever want. You can Google. And like, you can use those tools to then like craft, let's say a phrase, right. Where it's like, okay, I want my sound to be more resonant here. Like, how do I do that? Maybe. Oh, I remember someone saying something about opening my mouth more. Let me try that. Let's see. Yeah. do I Like it. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to keep that. Um, you know, like if we have, I would say, when we have different aspects, like vibrato, sound, technique, like all of those things, I would view as sort of like the materials in which we craft our phrase, right? Yeah. Like the higher quality, would you use the more, I don't know, it's it's sort of like, um, I'm a teacher who used to say like, you want your sound to be like a Gucci handbag, not like a Walmart handbag, right? Like- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> of matter the stitching matters like mm-hmm. all of that matters and it's like is it handcrafted or is it made a fact? you know it's like how do you want all of these elements to come together mm. um and I think so much of the time we think that like oh well if I have those things then I should already be able to play everything it's like no like how can you use those things creatively to create a phrase that you really love because ultimately that's what matters because if you play something like you really love it, people notice, you know, and I'm sure we've all experienced that when people are like, wow, you seem to really love this piece. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, you know, but you could do that for every piece. If, if you, and the more you invest in it, the more you think about it, the more you um, really try to create something that you like, the more willing someone else is, to see it, right? Like the the more likely it is that someone else will like, be like, oh my gosh, it's really high quality. That's amazing, right? (laughs)
0: Yeah. 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 And then you're also, because so much of your music practice is just you with yourself. If you can love what you're doing and love how you sound, you're going to enjoy it so much more. And then whatever happens on stage is like, a little bit less catastrophic (laughs) because you're already in a place where you're loving what you're doing. And that's the most important thing.
1: Well, yeah. And on the stage, if your focus in the practice room is like notes and rhythms and like fixing whatever's wrong, Mm -hmm. that energy follows you on the stage. There's no like, all of a sudden I'm going to be an artist and like walk on stage and pretend, you know, it's like there is, it's not like that. It's like, it is definitely... The opposite which is oh the the core of the work that i did was creative was artistic was crafting this thing that i love and then my intention isn't to get the notes right on the stage yeah. it's to do the thing it's to actually convey this phrase in the way i think it should go it's to like actually have a message and that is through playing all the right notes, right? Like, I think it's hilarious when people are like, why well, I just need to get the notes.
0: It's like, yeah. duh, like, but that's right. not the point. <laughs> yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. Well, this has been so amazing. Thanks for sharing oh. everything that you've learned. Of you've- course.
1: Thank you for having this amazing platform for musicians. I think it's so important.
0: Thank you. <laughs> and. Yeah. You do uh group coaching, I think. And then also one-on-one.
1: Yeah. Right? So I do just like a small once per month or once or twice a month, um, like group coaching, which is free to come and like talk about whatever topic we're bringing up, get coached yeah. by me if you want to. And um And then I also do, I have one-on-one clients as well. So if you have an audition coming up, you want to feel confident, you want to like really lay it all out there this time, like, like that's totally what I do. That's what I help people with. And I truly believe that like, there's only so many lessons we can take before like we have to do this work. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Agreed. Yeah. Yeah. So if people want to take advantage of that, where can they find you? Yeah. So my
1: website is chelseytanner.com. Uh, there you can see all the things they can fill out a contact form, um, sign up for a consultation. If you're interested in one-on-one coaching, um, my Instagram is sort of like the hub of all the information for other things. Um, you can sign up for group coaching, the link in the bio there, but it's at underscore Chelsea Tanner. So, um, that's my Instagram and I think that's, yeah, it's where I post all the things. So
0: it's yeah. a very happy space. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> yeah. I've been appreciating it. <laughs>
1: awesome.
0: All right. Well, thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Wow. Absolutely amazing. Thank you again to Chelsea for sharing so much of her wisdom and what she has learned over the years with us. This is so inspiring and makes me so excited to practice and put some of these techniques into my practice. If you enjoyed this episode, feel free to share it on social media or head to Apple Podcasts or Spotify and rate it. Anything that you feel comfortable doing to spread the word about my show is so helpful. And mostly just thank you all for listening. I hope that you are gleaning as much as I am from these conversations, and I'm so glad that you're here. All right, my friends, you are magic. Live in love.